Welcome to the Sunday, April 9th edition of the PFF Forecast. I have dragged myself out of a deep, dark pit of misery after watching Brooks Kepka uh, flush 33 to 1 down the drain. But I made it like a champion. Uh, I'm here. So we're going to talk about the Masters. We have to talk about it. Um, we're going to talk about the OBJ deal, which just happened. Um, Brad, Arjun, can react to what kind of a deal that is, what they make of it. What does that mean about Lamar? We talk about the number one overall pick odds. Two players now at minus odds, big shift over the weekend. Is that smoke? Is there fire behind it? More draft props have been released. We're going to talk about those. And we're going to close out the NBA uh, is set with uh, what the NBA playoffs and play-in look like, paving the way for Arjun and I's Lakers to go all the way. We're going to talk about that as well. Uh, who knows? We may do an A-Rod uh, Instagram book review. Uh, the world is our oyster. Let's rock. hope that your master's week was better than mine i know that arjun's was he didn't watch the tournament and yet <laughs> his brother from another mother uh top was he top 10 so he so he got uh, ninth overall outright with it with a, a tiger woods-esque chip in on 16 uh it's pretty cool actually he said in his post round that like some fans were saying like do do this for tiger do it for tiger and then he and then he potted it so it was pretty sick but I will say, uh, I, it was a great uh, Sunday or great weekend, except for today it was so annoying in classic Jordan Speed fashion. So, look, I think we gave out some good plays. Obviously, when you bet golf and winners, it's going to be, you know, long shots. Cam Young finished top 10. I think it was a good bet. He did start birdie, 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 and I thought we were going <laughs> to ride that off into the sunset. But I gave yeah. out three matchups. Two of them were absolute landslide victories. Uh, we had Matt Fitzpatrick over Corey Connors. Corey Connors missed the cut, I want to say. We had Jason Day over Dustin Johnson, which actually got dicey at the end. There. I think Jason Day shot like eight over today. Um, but of course, Patrick Cantlay, I think, is up three strokes on Jordan Spieth coming into today. Spieth shot a six under. I think Cantlay shot a three over or something like that. So, you know, classic Sunday Jordan Spieth to finish top five after not being in the tournament. That's just that's just what the guy does. It was uh, it was so on point. You know, in every major that either Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, or Rory McIlroy, usually Spieth or McIlroy, are going to go super low uh, in the uh, in the final round. It happened to be Spieth today. Um, I, like I said, I, I, I don't feel bad, okay? Brooks Kepka, I, I didn't take into account the fact that Liv played 54 holes, okay? I didn't think that was going to be an, a factor. Uh, I didn't think that he was going to forget to play the last 18. It was actually more than the last 18. He kind of stunk all Sunday, um, it was absolutely terrible, but I think the process is sound, um, in the, uh, us open, which are the odds I'm looking at right now, he is 11 to one. So clearly the value on Brooks Kepka, Kepka is gone. Cam Young, I thought played well too. He actually, I, um, bet him to, uh, to finish top five and top 10 as well. He was close to top five. He, he had a chip, uh, he blew it on 18 with his approach, unfortunately, but, um, had an opportunity there. Um, anyways, that is enough golf talk. We'll bring Arjun into the conversation. Uh, how proud are you of, of Thigala, your new, your new, your new, uh, golf crush? Yeah, pretty proud. Uh, you definitely like heard some of the stories about like how he, how, how well he performed, but yeah, I mean, I, I just didn't, I'll be honest. I didn't watch. He, he grew up. I, 
He grew up in Orange County. Yeah, he I went believe. to Pepperdine, I think. Oh, he did. Yeah. Wow. That's that's a little bit close to where I'm from. So Yeah, I I mean, I feel like you should you guys should you should maybe reach out. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh okay, let's let's talk OBJ here. So uh, for anyone that is um, spending their Easter trying to avoid sports uh, or forced to avoid sports, uh, the Baltimore Ravens signed Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, Brad, what is, because I've heard some crazy numbers that I don't even believe about guaranteed money in this deal. What is the the contract? What is it being reported as? And what does it actually seem to to be? Yeah, so when the first report came out, it said one year up to $18 million. I'm sitting there going, okay, this is like one year, $8 million, one year, $10 million with like 8 to $10 million in incentives. That is not the case. So, you know, we talk about the Friday news dump. I think this was a Sunday with the, with the leaders on 16 of Augusta news dump. Um, all jokes <laughs> aside, Odell Beckham Jr. was going to the Jets facility tonight. So I think this basically was Baltimore saying, you know what? We're not even going to let you go into the Jets building. We're just going to get this done. But the actual base value of the deal is $15 million, but the vast majority of that also in a signing bonus. So now there's per game roster bonuses and, and different ways to, to kind of tie in the money and, and protect yourself from the team side. That is not what's happening here. Look, obviously a good player, but going to turn 31 this season, has not played since the 2021 playoffs. Gets more money than any free agent wide receiver. If you want to compare it to, I think, the perfect comparison, Michael Thomas, same age, same injury situation, all that. His base value, ignoring roster bonuses, is $6.4 million. Like, Odo Beckham basically tripled that from from a different team that doesn't know him. Um, Look, the Ravens, they honestly have not been sharp in, in a little bit now, if I'm being frank. They are one of the smartest organizations. We do respect a lot of people there and what they do, but... From an off-field roster construction standpoint, they've done a lot of things, you know, that we, that we kind of, you know, say are not the sharpest way to go about roster construction. So I think it is a gesture of faith towards Lamar Jackson. That alone, you could argue, has some inherent value. Um, but this is an insane, insane contract. And I can tell you for a fact, a handful of teams had offers about one-third of this on the table. And, you know, they, the, the Baltimore comes in and triples it and gets it done. I think the other part also, it, it might signal like a changing of the guard and how the Ravens are doing contracts. So previously they weren't a team that I believe used void years in, in many of their contracts, but now they gave four void years to Nelson Aguilar's or Nelson Aguilar's uh, one-year contract. And, and, you know, with this contract, with a $13 million signing bonus, I'd imagine they're tacking on some void years there as well. Um, Brad, you can correct me if I'm wrong there. But yeah, it's it is a deal where I I just could I couldn't see any team matching that. Uh, it it is a it is a value where like he better be playing like a large majority of the snaps. He better you know go over at least like a thousand yards. But it does seem like a move to appease Lamar. You know, only a one year deal. So if he if he outperforms the deal, he's probably gone in twenty twenty three, and you're gonna get a or twenty twenty four, and you're gonna gonna get a comp pick for him. But yeah, I just I can't really justify the value of that deal and giving him that much in in base value is is something that no other team was willing to do. I don't think the Jets would have been willing to do that. So definitely a very interesting move for them and curious to see how they incorporate him into uh Todd Monkin's new offense. Will you explain void years, Arjun, uh for people that uh members of the printing press that may not know what that is? Cause it sounds I gotta be honest with you. The first time I heard it, I was like, that sounds like voodoo magic that the New Orleans Saints uh, and only the New Orleans Saints would come up with and figure out. I think it was in, in respect to the uh, 
the Taysom Hill deal, but explain what that means. Yeah, so voyeurs is is basically a way that teams can spread out um, a signing bonus into future years that, you know, it, it helps to save some money against the cap in the in the present, and you'll eventually push some money into the future um, and, and uh, you know, creates what the, you know, it's called void years where a player is most likely to not be on the roster, but you're still going to be, they're still going to count against the cap because you're spreading this cash in, in the form of a signing bonus over a set amount of years. I think the max number is, uh, is four. Um, and so, the, you know, the Ravens are doing this because they need to be able to fit Lamar's contract onto their cap. And so they're able to spread out that $13 million signing bonus. I'm assuming they're going to use void years for OBJ. So spread out that signing bonus over a set number of years to help smoothen the cap out this year. And as the cap is exponentially, exponentially increasing, um, you know, those uh, void years or the void cap hits, uh, as you could say, um, they're not going to matter as much because the cap is going up and up and up. So it's it's sort of, I think, a thing that some of the sharper teams have been doing in the league, like the Eagles have been doing it for years. The Browns have started to do it since they hired Andrew Barry from the Eagles. And now that the Ravens are doing it, I do think it's you know something that sharp teams are taking advantage of because because of the rising cap, they can uh, take advantage of some of these signing bonus that they spread out over multiple years when a player's not on the team. Yep, that's so, a pretty, pretty good summation there. Brad, this is this a Lamar move? Has to be, right? Like it, it has to be. It simply has to be. There's no reason to spend, you know. So, so you mentioned the void year specifically. So the signing bonus in, in this deal, which is what will actually prorate over the void years. We don't know the actual details yet, but they don't even have enough cap space without the void years. So they're coming. And Arjun is correct. The Ravens generally try to avoid using them. Um, you, you push all the signing bonus out in those years, and the signing bonus here is almost 14 million of the 15 million dollar base value. Like he has a minimum mm-hmm. salary, and then everything else is in a signing bonus spread out. So he's going to have a nine-plus million-dollar cap hit next year to not be on the roster. He'll have a larger cap hit next year than he will this year on the team. Um, and, yes, it, it simply has to be a, look, Lamar, we are trying to add wide receivers for you. You have Rashad Bateman coming back from injury. You have Odell Beckham Jr. coming back from injury. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're trying to surround you with talent on the outside. Um, it, it, that has to be part of it. So here was my initial take because it it, it makes a lot of sense, right? And, and I could see this as being a little bit of a warning shot. So you know, why would you go so far above market here? Like, like what's the reason? Because you know, let's say that all three of us are bidding on something, and I know that you guys are bidding ten dollars. Like, what is the purpose of me going 20? (laughs) Like, especially in a kind of blind ballot situation where you don't necessarily have a chance to rebuttal. Like, why not go, you know, a little bit over or, you know, even just double? And um, my thought is, could they be sending a message to the rest of the league and going, look, don't even bother offering Lamar a contract? Because what we've heard so far is that that is actually something that is keeping teams that are not the Ravens from negotiating with Lamar. One is they can't even get in touch with Lamar. He's busy filming, you know, uh, promos for the the hottest portable gym on the market. Um, But the other is that they believe the Ravens will match any deal that they present. So they don't want to, they don't want to do the negotiation for the Ravens, right? Of course not. And so maybe this is signaling, Hey, don't worry about it. Doesn't matter what you offer. We're going to match it. I think it's a very, very valid, you know, uh, perspective to look at. Also, I've seen a bunch of tweets to be like, oh, it's going to be harder now. Like, no, it's not. The Ravens are not going to sign a 31-year-old receiver coming off a torn ACL. It's going to make it so they can't re-sign their quarterback. Like, 
people with all due respect, not trying to be a gatekeeper. Like if you don't know cap and contracts, like you can have comments. Don't make like these sweeping declarations like, oh, it's going to be impossible for the Ravens to match an offer sheet now. Like that's just not what happened here. But I think that is fair. I think it is valid. But when you have the player himself and Odell Beckham Jr. tweeting out that someone offered him a $4 million contract, like that's probably also why agents like don't want guys saying stuff. This was, you know, probably a couple of weeks ago. Like you as the Ravens know, you just offered four times what someone else's offer was. And look, the Jets do not really do that. Like Joe Douglas is a very frugal, you know, general manager for the most part. He does not, you know, I guess they, they've overpaid on some players. Lake and Tomlinson was an overpay. Alan Lazard was kind of overpaid. But nevertheless, like they've generally been pretty solid in that regard. Um, yeah, maybe that is part of it. Hey, you know, like you can't touch this number, but it, it's still kind of crazy. I, I would imagine it's possible he didn't receive an offer for half this amount. That is nuts. Okay, let's let's talk a little bit about what we might expect out of him. Okay, because you mentioned the snaps, Arjun. How many snaps did he play last year? Zero. Absolutely zero. Uh, zero snaps last year. Um, we've seen how many examples of players sitting out an entire year. I mean, the, the one that comes to mind is Deshaun Watson, uh, who sat out an entire year, came back, and was uh, absolutely stunningly awful. Um, we're going to see it with Calvin Ridley, but Calvin Ridley sat out for something again, other than injury. Uh, this Odell's was part injury part, you know, not finding a team that actually wanted to pay him this year. So he has zero snaps, um, last year, the year prior, he played for the Rams, obviously. Now, interesting thing about that, about a 75 PFF grade that year played pretty averagely throughout the entire regular season, missed a couple of weeks here and there. Um, then in the playoffs was really, really solid and was on pace potentially to be a, a Super Bowl MVP um, with his performance in the Super Bowl, but had a really good game against the Cardinals, played really well against the Niners uh, in the Commerce Championship as well, but played um, you know a total of 552 receiving snaps, total of 862 snaps overall, year prior with the Cleveland Browns, just 316. So Arjun, what do you expect? Like what, what is the, uh, maybe even the ceiling uh, for... OBJ and um, in Baltimore. Yeah. So I think the thing that also I just didn't understand about the deal is you're, you're buying Odell at his, at his lowest, but you're paying him a lot of money. So for reference, uh, here's his yards per route run since 2018. So 2018 yards per route run 2.26. Uh, then he goes to the Browns in 2019, 1.81 1 and 1.79. And then in his final year with Cleveland and the Rams, it was 1.57. So it's, it's gone down like every single year of his career for the past four years. Um, you know, I, I think yards per route run publicly is, is the best receiver metric possible uh, to kind of evaluate, you know, and compare receivers. So it's, it's a weird one. I'm not like either again, they're buying about his lowest and they're paying him a lot of money. I think they're going to be using him in a full-time role. You can't just pay this guy to be used in a rotational role. I think the interesting thing with, the Ravens is they hired Todd Munkin who comes from Georgia and Georgia ran a lot of 12 personnel last year. You talk about having Darnell Washington and Brock Bowers. Um, I know the Ravens lost Josh Oliver to the Vikings in free agency, but they drafted two last year and Isaiah likely and Charlie Kolar. They have Mark Andrews who they're paid top money for. I think it's going to be a lot of 12 personnel with Odell and Bateman being the two main guys. And then, you know, one of them can kick inside when uh, Aguilar comes on the field on third downs, you know, if they go 11. So I think he's going to be a full-time receiver, especially starting on the outside. Um, and just because of how Munkin ran his offense in 
uh, Georgia. And because having Lamar means you probably want to have more of a heavier run personnel to run the ball. I think we're going to see him be using a lot of 12 personnel situations where he's probably, he's a little bit bigger than Aguilar. So he's probably a better blocker in that regard. So, uh, you know, I'm not sure where his yards per out run will end up or how, he, you know, if he's going to be able to return to form, but I think overall he does kind of fit what the Ravens are going to do. And he probably steps in as their, as their extra receiver heading into the year. And I will say this, like, go, go to the positive. I think he's a good run blocker. I think he's a very willing run blocker, which is honestly half the battle as a wide receiver. Um, you know, he's even said it like, I put it, I went to LSU intentionally, and that was back, back when LSU didn't throw the ball. Um, and also, I think particularly what they're, what they're going to do is, like, on short yardage and in the red area where he can just still separate at a very high level, like, a lot of those plays were, like, Lamar keepers. And if those can turn into some free freely wheeling or just frankly some quick like quick outs, um, you know, quick slants, stuff like that to get it to Odell Beckham Jr. instead, like I think it also mitigates maybe a particular area. But yeah, he has to play, you know, if we're talking about like Sir Paul, like he has to play as good as he did in his prime to justify, you know, or close to it, you know, to justify this deal. Yeah, well, look, as someone that um that purchases uh my protein powder from a company that Odell has equity in and is a ambassador of, I can't say anything, you know, too, too bad uh, about OBJ, but I will say this. I, I only bring that up to say that I've followed a little bit of what his recovery has looked like. You know, I think there's been some talk about how seriously he's taking some of his recovery. And certainly the airplane incident does not paint a particularly shining picture of like how seriously he's taking this. But I will say this, I'm not going to, I can't comment on like how well he's recovered. I do think some of the things that I have seen are the way that I would, I would expect an athlete that is on the cutting edge of recovery to try and recover. So with that being said, I think there is a, a real chance for the ceiling of Lamar and OBJ to be really, really good. And the question comes down to when will that ceiling occur and for how long will it last? Will it show up in week seven, last for two weeks, and then you know there's an injury? Or is it something that they can somehow manage his workload to the point where it can peak towards the end of the season in the playoffs? And if so, then you know what? It, it, it could be worthwhile. But I think there's a very high chance, I would say 75% chance, 80% chance that this is a really big overpay for a guy that, you know, maybe he gets 400 snaps this year, and that's that would be uh, a good thing. So. I'll, I'll throw one one final thought in general. I, I think this is interesting if maybe, you know, I think it started with co more in college, but seeing a guy like a Jamar Chase and Derek Stanley, you know, the guys that either either sat out, opted out, or or just didn't play or, or kind of did not have that great final season. Maybe there's a trend now if you're an NFL player coming off an injury, the deals are not there. Instead of signing, trying to get in camp and trying to build good favor, like, Take a full year off, get extremely healthy. Don't take any hits um, and, and try to like, you know, maybe cash in that following offseason. Maybe it's the beginning. You know, again, it applies to a special type of player. If you're an end of roster guy, you can't do this. But maybe it is kind of a trend that we see some players, you know, they go that route of let's just get fully healthy and, and try to come back, you know, the following year. The receiver that's still out there, by the way, is DeAndre Hopkins. Um, is this... You know, given that they spend a decent amount of, of change on on OBJ, could they, you know, could they essentially have spent the same amount of money and gotten DeAndre Hopkins? And would you guys rather have had Hopkins than OBJ? 
That's a great point that I had not thought about. And this is DeAndre Hopkins should be jumping up and down somewhere. Very happy about this, this deal. Because every other wide receiver, wide receiver deal, the Brandon Cooks trade, everything was working against him. He's owed $19.5 million this year. And yes, he had an injury in 2021. Um, and yes, he had to trade capital for him, even though I don't I don't think it's a lot. But yeah, I mean, absolutely. But I'd rather have DeAndre Hopkins for around the same type of money. Um, you know, with all due respect to Odell Beckham Jr. But Hopkins has not torn the same ACL twice in the last, you know, 48 months. What about you, Arjun? Yeah, I think um wait, sorry, I, I just completely blank. What was so it? OBJ was it? or DeAndre Hopkins? Let's let's say that the Ravens could have had either one. Do you think they made the right, right choice? Um I think I think Hopkins right now is a better receiver than OBJ, but I think the problem is you'd have to give up draft capital for Hopkins then. I, I don't know if he would require a new deal or whatnot. So it would, it might be more overall value that you have to give up for Hopkins, because I think you have to take on like a $19 million cap hit in 2023. And then like it drops down to like 12 million or something in 2024. So I think his price would be higher in 2023 on top of the draft capital you'd have to give up for him. But as of right now, I, I still think Hopkins is the better receiver. His yards per route run is still higher as PFF grades are a little bit higher than OBJ. So uh, yeah, I, I would take Hopkins, um, even if he does cost a little bit more. But um, if you're factoring value into that, I think OBJ might be more of a value, but I, th I still think they overpaid for him a little bit. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you. I, I think there's a unique OBJ, if he's healthy, is a, is a better fit for Lamar. He, he's going to get open and separate if he's healthy. I think the question again is like, you know, that's a big question mark. Um, okay, we're going to transition into the draft. Uh, by the way, if you are looking for a way to get uh, yourself caught up on the NFL draft, the best way is to go to pff.com, get yourself a PFF Plus subscription, join the Printing Press Discord. That is our forecast Discord. The link is in the chat description or the uh, the YouTube description, the description of the podcast, or you can just hit us up on Twitter and we'll pass it your way. It is the best way to stay on top of draft props. We try to talk about them as much as we can pretty much every episode, but when news breaks, things happen. The best place to take advantage of that is in the Discord. Many people got the Carolina Panthers to pick number one overall at four to one or four plus 450. Uh, 25 minutes later, they had the number one overall pick. So um, hopefully they don't trade out of it. Uh, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about this in, in just a second. The other things that you get are the brand new updated PFF NFL draft guide. It's newly redesigned. It has data points about every notable prospect. You cannot find anything close anywhere else. And probably the most addicting tool on the internet, which is the PFF mock draft simulator. You can unlock all of that. Just in case you're wondering, uh, why is it something that we uh, charge people for? Because very, very smart people at PFF put a lot of time to making that super realistic. And that's why actual NFL teams try to use that darn thing. Uh, Brad himself, uh, integral in the trade evaluation uh, algorithm, Timo Riske and the grinding the mocks data. So it makes it super realistic throughout the entire seven rounds. So it really is a unique product. You can go get yours for a ridiculously low price because we're offering 30% off with promo code MDS30 right now. All right, the number one overall pick. CJ Stroud uh, was the overwhelming favorite for a while. I think he got up to somewhere around uh, minus 200, uh, minus 250, if I'm not mistaken. Bryce Young was at three to one at one point. 
Brad, I know you were all over buying Bryce Young at three to one. We also have bought CJ Stroud at around that number. Over uh, the past couple of days, some news has come out or potential news that has brought Bryce Young now uh, basically neck and neck with CJ Stroud. I think they were both like minus 110 at one point. Right now on FanDuel, CJ Stroud minus 125. Bryce Young is minus 105 to go number one overall. The next closest is Anthony Richardson. He is 20 to one. So Brad, take us through the kind of timeline of events. What made this number move? And do you think it's uh, actual fire behind the smoke? Yeah. So when the Carolina Panthers made the trade from nine to one, I I mentioned on the show, we talked about it. They made a comment almost immediately after that they had not landed on a particular player yet. They were still open to trading down. And and I am very convinced that was a message directed towards one club, that being the Houston Texans. So anyway, the past week, what happened was Chris Mortensen on NFL Live. They were breaking down a mock draft. I think of Todd McShay's. He had CJ Stroud going first. I want to say him and Mel Kuyper have been pretty consistent in Stroud then young one two throughout their mock draft so mort who does know a ton still definitely a very plugged in connected guy said nope the pick is going to be bryce young uh it got tweeted out by you know legendary twitter you know bozo uh dov Kleiman, uh and then chris mortensen <laughs> immediately responded to it and said i was just saying as a mock draft i wasn't sharing like actual news but I think, you know, that he said it in very strong language that he's very convinced Bryce Young's going to be the guy. So I think that was the biggest reason for the move. We've then seen um, Jordan Schultz was on uh, Vegas Insider and said he thinks it's going to be Bryce Young as well. So a lot of plugged in people um, have been kind of putting out that they now think it is going to be Bryce Young instead of CJ Stroud. Uh, I want to say maybe like one of the NFL Network guys, maybe a Jeremiah or something like that. Also, I think it was Jeremiah, you know, alluded to, you know, I now think it's going to be Bryce Young. So there's been a ton of steam. They're now, like you said, both at at minus money. If you've been a member of the press for the last month, you hopefully are sitting on two plus money tickets. Um, Yeah, I have 330 uh, plus 330 for Stroud and three to one for Bryce. So I hope you you have similar values there. Um, Yeah, but that that is why that has happened. Uh, And I'll tell you, I still maybe I'm wrong. I think it could also just be ramping up the heat of saying, hey, you know, hey, Houston, if you want Bryce Young, you got to come to one to get him. One last data point here that I think is notable, uh, Lance Zerline, who, who also is an NFL Network guy, who last year had Derek Stingley third overall to Houston and Kenyon Green 15, 15th overall to Houston. And a lot of people didn't have Kenyon Green in their first round of their mock drafts. Um, and that obviously ended up being both correct. He is plugged into Houston, his most recent mock draft. And I think he's even kind of admitted it was a bit of a throw some stuff at the wall, kind of get weird with it. But nevertheless, he had uh, Bryce Young first, and then he had the Texans taking Tyree Wilson second overall. Um, I think it is indicative of if Bryce Young does go first, Houston has a tough decision and maybe do not go quarterback. Maybe they trade. Maybe they take Will Anderson or I guess Tyree Wilson. Um, Maybe Arjun can talk about that a little bit. But anyway, that is the, the synopsis of what we've seen the last, I don't know, week or so. Yeah, to kind of like, I think you covered the first overall draft market perfectly. Um, this was something we talked about in like our like Slack chat. And I think I put it in the Discord also, but about two weeks ago, there was like a, a tab on DraftKings. It was like draft pick parlays, top two exact order, Bryce Young, Will Anderson, 100 to one. I put, I like put just like a couple dollars on it. It is it, when I checked it last before they took the tab off completely, it was like 20 to one or like even like uh, shorter odds than that. Like, I think there is a great, great chance that if Bryce Young goes number one, Houston is either trading out 
or they're taking the best available non-quarterback, which would probably be Will Anderson. I think like he he fits like a four three D end better than Wilson does. Uh, but you know, like you said, Zerline might know that Wilson is might be the the preferred preferred choice by Houston. You know, he is from the Texas Tech area, so he you know has close ties to Houston. You know, Houston scouts might know him better than Will Anderson. Um, so yeah, I think like there is a, a solid chance that if, if you think Bryce Young is number one overall, you can also, you know, bet on top of that thinking that Houston's not going to take CJ Stroud. You can either put money down on Will Anderson four to one on, on FanDuel or like Anthony Richardson 20 to one on FanDuel to be second overall. But again, it's honestly what you guys believe, uh, or what people believe to be the number one overall pick. If it is Stroud, it's, it's probably going to be Stroud. It's definitely going to be Stroud Young, or not definitely. It's probably going to be Stroud Young. If Young goes number one, there's a whole lot of possibilities about teams either trading up to two. We could see the Raiders, uh, maybe the Lions, mm-hmm. Titans trade up to two for uh, CJ Stroud or Anthony Richardson, or Houston stays at two and takes the best non-quarterback because um, of you know David Mulugeta and, and Houston's relationship from the Deshaun situation. So I, I think it's a really interesting market. I'm still with Brad that I think it's going to be Stroud at number one, but the fact that Stroud and Young are both minus money right now, I think that's it, it, there has been a lot of uh, market perception. And the one last thing I'll, I'll point out, every time there's been a pushback on Stroud, where Stroud goes down to minus 120, minus 110, there was one point where they were both minus 110. They've been bet back up to like minus 150, minus 160. So Sharps have been hammering, I feel like, the line when it gets down to minus 110. And there hasn't been a lot of pushback on Bryce, where he's continuing to rise like someone like Devin Witherspoon. So I still think Stroud is is the favorite and people who have like good insider knowledge and are betting these things are still waiting for Stroud to get down to like minus 110 and, and keep betting it back up. Uh, but as of right now, yeah, I still think it's CJ Stroud. And, uh, but there's a lot of possibilities that can come if it's Bryce Young. So my, my initial, the option that I think makes the most sense is the Panthers are trying to get some smoke going about, you know, Hey, I'm, we're going to take young, try to seduce the, the Texans into doing something. Um, but Let's say that's not the case. So playing this out even further. So let's say that Bryce Young goes one overall. Okay. So the Panthers take Bryce Young. Texans are sitting there, as you guys pointed out. They're not going to take CJ Stroud because of the agent situation, whatever it is. Maybe they just don't like CJ Stroud that much. There's also this kind of, eh, I don't really know if we feel like trading up for CJ Stroud or Anthony Richardson or any of these other Will Levis amongst the teams that might trade up. So maybe no one trades up. Okay, so if no one trades up to two, let's take another pick forward. The, the Arizona Cardinals are sitting there. Cardinals, no no dice either. So now you get to number four. And this is where I think the, the value chain may not be hooked up correctly. CJ Stroud is 35 to one to go fourth overall. That's how I think I would play this. Because you sit there and you look, you know, the, the Colts are sitting there. They, there's been talk about Will Levis. There's been talk about Anthony Richardson. Maybe they just really like the guy from the state over in Ohio. And they just sit there and they take CJ Stroud. <laughs> and he goes fourth overall. I think that's a very possible way that this could play out. And then you have Seahawks at five. Maybe they take Anthony Richardson. But I, that's how I would play this. So I just think I'm going to make a little bit of a play on CJ Stroud to go fourth overall. I still agree with you guys that Stroud is likely the the number one overall pick, but I'm not betting it at minus 125. Already have, you know, a a lot of uh, exposure there. So I think that's the way um, that I, that I would play this. What do you guys think about that? 
What's the value on third over? I like that a ton, but what's the value on third overall as well? He's 10 to, 10 to one. So third overall is Richardson minus 135. This is on uh, Fandle, by the way. Um, Will Anderson plus 250. Will Levis is plus 850. CJ Stroud is 10 to one. I think that's really fascinating. Christian uh, Gonzalez is 20 to one and Bryce Young is 25 to one. So, yeah, so George, first, I love the logic there. I really do. I mean, I think, and even I'm, you know, guilty of this. Like, I thought Bryce Young was the best prospect the entire time. I, and, and CJ Stroud, I always liked. But before the Georgia game, I really was not, like, blown away by him. And as good as Georgia's defense is and as big of a stage as that was, that's one game. You shouldn't, you know, dramatically change your sample. And Justin Fields had an arguably even better performance against Clemson in his second to last, or his, you know, whatever, and fell all the way to 11. Now, he may have fallen 11 for, like, epilepsy and other situations going on outside of at least things that we know about C.J. Stroud right now. But it might sound crazy having this conversation based on everything we've talked about the last month. But if we said, you know, 10 weeks into the college football season, yeah, CJ Stroud might go fourth or fifth overall. I don't think any of us would even think it's weird at all, right? So like, we also shouldn't, like, be buying into this narrative that we've kind of built the last month. I, I, I think it's very fair logic because I do think if Bryce Young goes first overall, literally everyone's mock drafts and everyone's everything, throw it out the window. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's March Madness 2023 at that yeah. point. Yeah, uh, it's very fascinating. But I, I love the kind of – thinking about the downstream impact because that's where you're going to find some of the value. Obviously the number one overall pick is going to be well thought out from a betting market perspective, number two as well, so on and so forth. And as it uh, goes out, there's going to be kind of less sharpness there. Let's cover some other markets though. Um, our resident draft prop scavenger, Arjun Menon. Um, yes. Arjun, what caught your attention over the past couple of days? Yeah. I want to start by with one that we fed to the press. Hopefully people were able to tail it, but it was, Ravens to draft a cornerback with their first pick. It opened on FanDuel at plus 350, gave it to the press, put it on Twitter. It dropped to like plus 250 in like 15 minutes. OBJ, you know, and at that time, receiver was the favorite. I think actually like before the pick, it was like minus 150. Uh, or before, not before the pick, before the signing, it was receiver to be the first position taken by the Ravens was minus 150. It's now complete, completely flipped after the OBJ signing where corner is minus 125. So got some really good closing line value there. You know, I think it's about like a 33% difference in implied probability. So pretty happy with that bet. But outside of that, there are some interesting markets. Um, one I wanted to talk about that we talked about in the Discord was the Bengals uh what position they're going to take so right now on FanDuel tight end is plus 150 corner is three to one O-line is three to one running back is five to one D-line is 11 to one I think corner was actually a little bit longer before we started recording I think it was closer to like six to one or seven to one it's not three to one and I do think corner is the best bet on the board you think about what the mm -hmm. Bengals have a corner right now they have Chidobi Awuzie but he tore his ACL mid-season last year he might not be ready week one. And even then, the rate, the Bengals are a team that loves to throw resources at their secondary position. They've been doing it for years. They like to stockpile on first-round picks and former first-round picks. Dax Hill is more of a safety than a slot corner, so don't really think that they drafted a corner in the first round last year. I know they have Cam Taylor-Britt, but I don't know if they see him as a true alpha receiver or cornerback one. And talking to some people at PFF, it does sound like, sound it does sound like the Bengals organization really like Emmanuel Forbes from Mississippi State and Cam Smith from South Carolina and those are per grinding the mocks their you know expected draft position is in that late 20s 
early 30s area. So I think corner at three to one is a good bet. You're, you probably lost some value because they were longer odds earlier in the week. But um, I don't necessarily think tight end should be that high, especially given that I think Mayer and Kincaid will be both off the board by the time the Bengals pick. Hmm. Yep. Uh, I love all those thoughts there. Uh, so, you know, the, the corner thing is fascinating too, because you mentioned Forbes. So I finally finished up a lot of this, the threshold analysis we've been talking about probably for a while now, um, you know, looking at just the average player teams are drafting the top hundred, uh, you know, how, how many standard deviations are, are they willing to deviate from that number um, or just a, a, a pure minimum threshold. And of course, again, there are going to be outliers and things like that, but it's, it's fascinating because some of the best tape guys like an Emmanuel Forbes, Manuel Forbes' weight is so low that he basically, you know, per this thing I chalked up, like met zero team thresholds because no one has taken an 166-pound corner, um, you know, in, in the top 100 maybe ever. But he is such a good player, and all the film anal analysts love him. I think he's going to be a first-round pick as well. And then the flip side you have is, like, there are guys like Deontay Banks uh, and other very, very good players, DJ Turner out of, out of Michigan, that are tested extremely well, you know, hit a ton of teams thresholds or big size, big body, play man coverage, do all these things. Like there could be like six corners that go in the first round, um, even more than that, potentially. Keely Ringo's a guy who does not did not play very well. And a lot of, you know, again, film analysts kind of poke holes in his tape at Georgia, didn't get better as time went on in Georgia, but literally tests meets all 32 teams thresholds. Like, so it kind of goes back and forth where like there's, there's both the traits guys and the production guys. And I think there's going to be very good players sitting there at 28 potentially for, you know, corners. Cause we're not going to have like, you know, eight guys, you know, eight teams before 28, uh, you know, take a corner. Mm. Yeah. It's really interesting. So the threshold stuff is, is fascinating. We had what is by far the best threshold uh, write-up of all time. I think it was the last episode, which is the Bill Parcells threshold for quarterback play. I'm applying that to everything in life now. And, and uh, you know, so I'm only talking to people that have started three-plus years, 25-plus uh, games, um, you know, eat three solid meals a day, um, you know, all of those different things. Um, but it is fascinating because one of the things, Brad, that you talk about a lot that I think – has really helped us. I just actually talked about it with our mock draft sim is we at PFF tend to try and ascribe the ideal way of doing things on teams. Like it's like the coaching your bets thing, right? It's like, well, they, you know, if the box just didn't run the ball on second and long so darn much, this would be a great bet. Uh, but it's more valuable to actually kind of dig into what teams do and how they think. And so trying to get inside their heads, and I'm curious from both of your guys' perspective, like like the Jimmy Johnson chart is a good thing. And you brought this up, Arjun, which is it appears that most teams still use it. But you can find these situations where there clearly are teams that are not using it, know the other teams are using it, and are finding deals that are plus EV for them. And in the minds of the other team using the Jimmy Johnson chart, plus EV for themselves. So it is really valuable to uh, think about the way that teams might actually approach this. What would your guys' guess be, or educated guess be, on the percentage of teams that are actually doing like this kind of analysis that is helping them pick players uh, in the draft? What do you guys think? I'll, I'll jump in first here. I mean, I do think that some of it is tied to the old guard, and I will say, so I like the rookie wage scale. I, you can follow GMs from where they're from, their philosophy. I get that. I didn't. I think scouting departments and a lot of these scouting departments have guys that have been there for 20, 30 years. Like I think they genuinely do have like, we don't take tackles whose arms are not 33 inches long. We don't take corners that are at least 31. Like 
Those are just two examples. Um, I think that is a genuine thing, um, especially with premium draft picks. But I'm guessing, and this class is going to be a great test because there are so many outlier guys in this class at every position. Bryce Young, Devin Witherspoon, Kalijah Kansi, Peter Skaronsky. Like, there's like a half dozen guys that don't we've never seen before, but they're such good football players. So anyway, to, to get to answer your question, I think it is real. I, I think it is real, but I'm sure there are some smart teams now, kind of like you're saying, where they could almost game it and say, this team might think that, you know, we're not going to mm. take this guy because we've never done this. But you know what? We're kind of moving away from these like hard line numbers. You know, if it's close enough, it's close enough and we'll figure it out type of thing. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with Brad. I think teams that have maybe some a lar like larger staffs, larger scouting staffs or analytics staff, like they'll have people dedicated who are like, OK, this this is what certain teams do. And we know they're probably not going to take a player like this. But this is like Brad said, a very outlierish draft where you have players where we've never really seen before at their size and speed and uh, being mocked this high. I think it's going to be very interesting. I know like as a Chargers fan, there's certain receivers that it would be a shock for me if, if Tom Telesco took them just because guys like Jordan Addison and Zay Flowers, they don't fit the mold of what Tom Telesco does with taking a receiver in the top three rounds uh, of the draft. So I think a lot of teams have stuff like that, you know, arm length. Like I remember in 2020, the Panthers didn't see Rashawn Slater as a tackle because he had short arms, right? Even though the, the tape was there, like we only see tackles mm -hmm. with arms of this length. And like, you know, they took like Brady Christensen later in the draft, but there are teams who will do that. And I'm not sure that's a, a great way of approaching things like obviously if a player's played well in in college it doesn't mean it, it will always translate to the pros but there are teams that use the threshold stuff and i know like it's going to be like it should factor into what bets you make and how you do mock drafts but it's not necessarily that's the mainstream people will necessarily think about it's interesting it's almost like um like uh people have a type you know it's like oh this person has always dated blondes or has always dated guys with great facial hair, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and uh, yeah, exactly. It's a you know, <laughs> shout out to the people on this podcast with fantastic facial hair. Um, but, uh, you know, I think it's a natural, the reason I bring that up is because I do think it's a natural inclination, right? And so whether, what I'm kind of interested in is are these thresholds that you're talking about things that are thought of like on purpose or a function of just the way that certain teams think about the ideal prospect for them, you know, and it's like, to your point about this, I think the reason that that's a possibility is to your point, these scouting departments can exist for a long time. We think about a lot of these kind of turnover across, you know, GMs or coaches and scouting departments with this longevity and they just get set in their ways, you know, and it's like, so you like blondes. Okay. Well, you like yeah. brunettes. All right, here you go. And that's just kind of the, the way the ball bounces. Um, and so I think that's that's definitely super valuable. And I would guess, if I were to put a number on it, I would say it's probably 80%. I, I would say there's uh, it's an 80-20 right now. I think 20% of the teams, maybe less, are making 80% of the plus EV moves um, that are out there uh, would be kind of the way that I would, um, I would put it. Uh, you mentioned the Discord, um, Arjun, and I was with some, some buddies this week many of whom are avid bettors. We were in Tennessee where you can bet legally. And um, we started talking about football because, of course, and uh, I mentioned that we have a, a betting discord. I was telling them some of the, the bets that you know we've got down recently. And they were like, oh, I, well, do I have to get a subscription for that? Uh, and uh, I was like, no. And then another buddy was like, so how much does it cost to, to join the, the discord? And I was like, it's completely free. Are you serious? Totally free. It's free money, baby. 
Um, so if you're uh, not a member of the printing press yet, make sure you get involved. Um, I promise I'll get hats uh, online there soon enough. Um, any other uh, draft props, guys, that we want to talk about before we pivot to um, my Los Angeles Lakers? Yeah, so real quick, I don't know how much money we're going to make off the best we shared in the Discord. Off closing line value alone, you know, we've definitely profited, but it's all about, you know, teams pulling through for us. One uh, last team or team position bet I did want to talk about is the New England Patriots. This one is a really interesting mm. one to me because there's no clear favorite for who the page, what position the Patriots are going to take. Cornerback is plus 250, O-line is plus 250, and receiver is 3-1. to one. And we recently just got a report – uh, saying that Pats and Zay Flowers is a big connection there. Lolo O'Brien's already been teaching uh, Zay Flowers the playbook. Uh, Zay Flowers went to Boston College, so you know New England scouts. They're probably like like I said with Tyree Wilson in Houston. It's a very direct connection. They you know can just drive over to see Zay Flowers play. So there could there could be a lot of love in that building because of how the past two years for him has, have gone. Regarding corner, it's a tough one because you have to find specific cornerbacks that fit what Bill Belichick wants to do, uh, which is play a lot of man, a lot of cover one, cover three, leaving your corners on islands. So if there's not like a top of like a true out, like a Devin Witherspoon or Christian Gonzalez sitting there at 14, I don't necessarily think corner is going to be the pick for them. To me, I've already bet, and I think Patriots taking an alignment at plus 250 is what I would prefer to, to make this bet. Um, they didn't really, they lost, uh, they haven't re-signed Isaiah Wynn. They have Trent Brown starting at left tackle, but right tackle is still up in flux. I think they signed Riley Reef, uh, but he's kind of like a, uh, it's a one-year deal. They have, I think, Calvin Anderson there, but both are on expiring deals and they need a, a right tackle of the future. Um, according to Grinding the Mocks, Broderick Jones, his expected draft position is literally 14. Darnell Wright is, is in that like uh, 10 to 20s range. Uh, Skaronsky's 11.6 expected draft position and Paris Johnson is 10.4. So there is a lot of tackles in that region for Belichick to take. Um, I, you know, he definitely wants with Bill O'Brien, I could see him wanting to improve the trenches. Um, and so I think O'Lineman would be the best bet here, but I'm curious to hear what uh, you guys have to say with that. I think I might already also have a ticket for, for O-line for them. I think it makes a ton of sense. I had a trade uh, for them actually trading up for Broderick Jones, an article I put out last week. So I, I see all that eye to eye 110%. Uh, you mentioned, yeah, a bunch of stop gaps to tackle. They do have a lot of them. They have like four or five guys. Uh, they, they also re-signed Connor McDermott, who they played at tackle. Like they kind of threw a bunch of bodies at tackle, but I still think it makes a ton of sense to get a good young player in there to replace all those dudes eventually. Um I will say, though, I think Zay Flowers is fascinating, and I also think Devin Witherspoon is fascinating. Might surprise you because the Patriots, we know them as kind of playing a ton of man coverage. Again, like I know there's no hard and, hard and fast thresholds, but Devin Witherspoon, because of his weight, technically only like checked every single box. Um, he also hasn't tested everything, but nevertheless, uh, for the Patriots and the Steelers, uh, among all the teams that are in that range, like I think you could argue the Raiders maybe – or carried over some of the thresholds from new England. Um, but nevertheless, like Witherspoon to me is interesting. Cause I'm sure I would wait for that one more on a direct team. Yeah. Cause I think you'd get a ton of value in everyone thinking, Oh, Witherspoon's going to be gone on the top eight picks. Like there's no way he's there at 14. Um, and then also, yeah, I mean like Zay flowers, man, the buzz is real. Um, I think it's, it's possible. He is the first wide receiver draft at this point. I really do. Um, and I think new England wow. could be that team, but, but if I, if I was going on position right now, I agree with you. Uh, I would go offensive line. Zay Flowers. We talked about, go ahead. I was going to say something about Zay Flowers. 
Yeah, no, I was gonna say uh, we we gave out him to be first receiver taken twenty two to one. I think it was like the first episode right after the Super Bowl. Yeah. So we, you know, hopefully you guys have tailed some of that. Um, I don't know. If, I don't think there's a lot of value betting in three to one now because I think Smith and Jigba would probably be favored by most teams. Patriots might be the one team that sees flowers over uh, JSN, but yeah, I mean we have the ticket ready. Uh, and according to Zay Flowers' agent, he's also like definitively, definitively going to be the first receiver taken. So we have that on our side as well. Future first ballot per sources. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just I feel bad for Zay Flowers. There's nothing worse than being a receiver taken by Bill Belichick in the first round of draft. <laughs> just kiss of death. Kiss of death. So bad. Um, but we saw that movement, right? Uh, that Zay Flowers is now the the second most um, likely player according to the markets to go to be the first receiver taken behind JSN, that move uh, we talked about last week. Um, all right, let's uh, take a quick uh, jump to the NBA because the NBA regular season just finished. Um, I am looking at FanDuel right now, the, the play-in games. This is, is scary, very scary to me. The Lakers are seven-point favorites against the Timberwolves, one of the play-in games. The good news is that the Minnesota Timberwolves are absolutely falling apart at the seams. If anyone saw it, didn't see this, uh, it is absolutely hilarious. So the Timberwolves, how many picks was it, Brad, that they traded for Rudy Gobert? Four first-round picks. Four. Four, well, Walker Kessler was their first-round pick. So him mm. plus four first-round picks. And I, th- I think Kessler might be a better player today. Yes, he, he has like uh, maybe twice as many blocks. He has a higher PER too. So yeah. Yeah, I'm not like an NBA statistician or anything, but like a raptor, whatever it is. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, but the 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 gift that is Rudy Gobert kept on giving because he got in a verbal altercation with Kyle Anderson, um, another Minnesota player, uh, former uh point guard at the UCLA Bruins and uh San Antonio Spurs, and ended up punching him during the game. Okay, so they send Rudy Gobert off because he tried to punch his teammate, and then another Timberwolves player, as it Jaden Daniels, uh, punched a wall. McDaniel's, yeah, uh, punched a wall at at halftime and broke his hand. Um, So uh, A Rod is like I think the next player up for uh, the Timberwolves, um, which would be is going to be fantastic. I can't wait to see his Instagram stories leading up to. Uh, to the game i am nervous though seven points a lot of points um so that's not the bet that i'm i'm going with i'm curious arjun you look at some of the the opening play out play in games i should say anything that catches your uh your eye or anything with the playoff series prices that have been put up there i'm seeing the knicks and Cavs. knicks plus 180 Cavs minus 215 the nets and sixers the nets plus 640 the sixers minus thousand and this one, which is kind of interesting, the Clippers and the Suns, uh, the Suns are already out to minus 620, the Clippers uh, plus 460. And for NBA Finals, um, we have the Bucks uh, winning the NBA Championship plus 250, Celtics plus 350, the Suns plus 480, Sixers and Warriors plus 950, and the Nuggets are your Nuggets plus 1,000. Yeah, so I think series props-wise, I'm not – it's it's interesting that the Warriors are minus 290. I'll just say that. This is a team that mm-hmm. historically, like, or not even just historically, like this was like one of the worst road teams in all of basketball this year. And they're going to, you know, they don't have home court advantage, which I, like we talked about is a huge thing this year. 
And so I, I think it's really just, you know, betting on the Warriors experience. I think I would probably bet a little bit of the Kings just because I think their offense is, is really good. Like number one offensive rating in the league um, and the Warriors just struggle on the road. They're getting Andrew Wiggins back. Uh, but again, I just, I don't know how much he kind of alleviates those road woes. Um, I know Warriors have a, a just way more playoff experience than the Kings, but I know the Kings have been playing some really good basketball on their, uh, analytically driven team. So I'll be, obviously I'll be rooting for them, but, uh, Warriors, you know, always fun to watch. I think going into the game lines, I, I think it's in, the Lakers Timberwolves one is interesting. I kind of lean, uh, the over with Lakers wolves. Um, you know, no JD McDaniels, who would be like the, the LeBron stopper that kind of forces Kyle Anderson into that role. I think he would probably take over for McDaniels. Uh, they call him slow-mo for a reason. He's got slow. He's pretty slow. So I don't know how well he'd be able to defend LeBron. And with all contacts, like I'm not, you know, I don't follow basketball as closely as I do football, even though I love the sport and I bet on it every day. Like I'm not as detailed with the matchups. I know a little bit about it, but I think, you know, Minnesota coming into LA with no Jaden McDaniels, they're not going to be able to stop LeBron. Um, I think AD, he's really turned it on in moments where they they needed him. And I think this is a game where he'll be able to score. And as much as I like the the Lakers defense and how well they've been performing the past couple of weeks um, when, with LeBron back and with other people back, I still think um, they're not a great defense. And, you know, last time these two teams played, it was 123 to 111. So they went over the total of, of 231. Um, so I, I definitely think that I, I'd probably lean the over, but six and a half is a lot of points. And as much as I think the Lakers have been playing some good ball, I don't know if they're six and a half point or it'd be like four and a half point favorites after accounting for home court advantage than the Timberwolves. Yeah, yeah that's a, uh, they had the best record, uh, I think, the Western Conference since the All-Star break. Um, but I like the over. Uh, it makes sense because, um, as I just mentioned, Rudy Gobert not quite playing the, the defense that, that he once was. Um Brad, any thoughts on on your end? What are you doing yeah. for the next golf tournament? Oh, I had one one playoff thought. Um, real yes. real quick. Um, look, the Sixers are a great team. They've been on an absolute tear. Um, but everyone, I think, is just like overlooking the Nets entirely because they don't have a name and they're just like ten very good players deep. You can get the Nets plus two and a half games in their series at plus money. I think they're gonna lose, ah. but I think it could be like a four two series. Um, and you get plus 120 there. So, look, I, you know, I get why the price is what it is. But if Joel has – if Joel doesn't give them 50, like, they, they sometimes struggle. Um, and who knows, if he, if, who knows if he can do that the entire time. But, um, look, we'll get ready for the, for, the, uh, for the next major. I think we're in a great spot. I think you did make a good point earlier. I think the, the biggest takeaway was – this was the tournament to bet live players, not just Brooks, but I mean, Phil comes in what third mm. uh, uh, Patrick Reed was in the mix. Like, I think we lost a lot of that value and maybe that the market respects them now for the next tournament. But if not still um, at Cam Smith's price, but you know, he kind of finished poorly, but his price I think was off as well. And the last thought, Scotty Scheffler, they said it the entire broadcast. So everyone knows this now and has heard it a hundred times, but was literally like top three in Tita green and they just could not make a putt to save his life the entire time. As we talked about, that is the most variance of any of the all, you know, all, all the the various you know, things you look at. Um, he, he could be back in a big way in the next major because the ball striking was phenomenal. He just, he just couldn't putt. Yeah, it was a good point. I just can't stand his swing. Every time he, like, kicks yeah. his, his leg forward. That foot just... slides, man. Yeah. It's really something. Um, Gross. Really something. I, I'm just uh, – I'm waiting for the um, – the odds on Sahith Thigala to come out so that I can uh, I can lay Got uh, him to be top. What's the next one? So the next one, the the Open Championship, or is that? Old? I think it's usually U.S. Open, then Open Championship, then PGA, I believe. 
Okay. I think that U.S. Open is later this year. Okay. Um, it could be flipped. Yeah. I'll check. Yeah. Yeah. Check. At, at LA Country Club. I already have some Homa 33 to 1 there. Um, he's down to 19 to 1. I checked. So I don't know if that's it's no, not very good uh, odds anymore. But uh, for anyone out there that has not heard this, he has like the three lowest scores uh, recorded at LA Country Club, which is where the U.S. Open is being played if you are so inclined. All right, that is our, uh, what was a slow news day, turned into not so slow of a news day, Sunday evening podcast. If you rode with Brooks Kepka, it's going to pour one out for you tonight. I appreciate you. My thoughts and my prayers are with you. Have a wonderful evening. We love you. We'll see you on Wednesday night. Peace.